Um, I think it's gone pretty good so far. All the people have been very interesting to see, for you probably to see and to hear. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hi, everyone. This is sound mixer and editor Jeff Meese. I'm here with executive producer Stefan Borsom. It's our one-year anniversary, and as Justin likes to say, we're super excited. The guest today is someone you're familiar with. Mountain athlete and friend of the podcast Mike Foote was also kind enough to help us out. We hope you like it. Hi, this is Stefan Borsom. Today, we have some special announcements and new sound elements from our audio Imaginarium. Brace yourselves for a cool new tune from previous podcast guests, Jeff Ament of Pearl Jam and John Wicks of Fits in the Tantrums, and more locally, Drum Coffee. So, without further delay, it's time to launch the ship. Enjoy. Justin Engel, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's sort of, yeah, it's strange to hear that, but it's good to be here. That's great. That's great. Um, let's dig in. I've got a lot of questions for you. Okay. What do you got? Why did you come to Missoula? Wow. Okay. Uh, there was a job here. They were hiring for a marketing professor. I was a graduate student in marketing, uh, getting my PhD and hopefully trying to get an academic job. There was one here. I applied for it and they wanted to interview me. So that was initially why I came. And then once I came to visit, realized that, man, this is the place. I mean, uh, my wife, Maggie, loved it. The kids, um, I don't think they're really old enough to understand what was going on, but it just felt right. like a great place to bring the family. And and most of all, you were here, and Seth Swanson was here, you know, two guys I knew in town. And I was like, if these guys can make an awesome life here, I certainly can. These are my heroes. So here we are. Yeah, when I first met you, it was 2012. We went out for a trail run here in Missoula. Mm-hmm if I recall, and you were checking out Missoula on that trip. Was that when we yeah, so went at that point, ran up and over Sentinel? Correct, yeah. So at that point, I had um, accepted the offer here, and we came out in April. Uh, you know, these academic jobs, they're, they're, it's kind of a long, uh, whatever, like process. Yeah. So I had accepted the job in the fall of 2011, and then in the spring of 12, when I was graduating, I came out. Um, with my wife and family to to kind of look for a place to live. And we looked at a bunch of houses in a short week and found one that we uh, really liked. And yeah, yeah that's, where we, that's where we still live, up in the Rattlesnake. So it, it, yeah, it was a good trip, and I was happy to connect with you on that trip as well. Yeah, next to some good trails. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, little did I know how good the trails were sort of right out the door up there in the Rattlesnake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are in a great spot. Um, that's really cool. So understand a little bit about how you got here to Missoula, or maybe I should say what drew you to Missoula. Right. Um, but I, I know that myself, I know a little bit of your backstory, and I think a, list, a few of your listeners might as well, but definitely not everybody. And uh, maybe we should go back a little further. Um, I'd be curious to know... Yeah, how far back do you want to go, man? Let's go back to... Four. When were you born? Yeah. <laughs> August 25th, 1974. Oh, dang. Long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, you grew up in New England. That's right, New Hampshire. What was that like? Well, I mean, I didn't really have anything else to compare it to at that time. Uh, where I grew up in kind of central north New Hampshire, beautiful zone. Rural? 
Um, yeah, I mean, the town I live, everything's so close there. Like, we're, you know, an hour and 45 minutes, two hours from Boston, 45 minutes from Concord, an hour from Manchester. I mean, not that these are big cities. Boston's a big city. Concord, Manchester, right. less so. But, yes, my town had about 5,000 people in it. My high school, 400 students, I think. There was, like, 90 or 100 in my graduating class. So, relatively small. But um, pretty dense when you compare it to a place like Montana. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How did you spend your time? Well, I was super into, um, I was a nerd, right? So like <laughs> if you're good at going to school, that's one of the reasons you become a professor. It's different from being smart, but you're good at going to school. And so, yeah, yeah I was pretty good at going to school and enjoyed it. And I think that, you know, you mentioned briefly as well, being a lifelong athlete. And so growing up elementary school, middle yeah. school, high school, Yep. you were playing sports. Uh-huh. What were you playing? I'm yeah. not sure I know the answer to this. Sure. So I played um, soccer, basketball, and tennis. In, All sports. Yeah, in, in high school. And, uh, you know, skied a little bit, but but that was pretty much like on days of basketball practice was canceled or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are those are my sports. Uh, you know, small town, high school. Our high school had, you know, like 400 kids, and you could be... You could be good at all three sports. Yeah. And, you New know, Hampshire, right? New Hampshire in a small state, so yeah. you could be you know, good on three sports in a small state. <laughs> yeah, but that was very kind of formative for me. I was fortunate to have really good, well, a really really special coach. He's still a special person in my life, Dave Pinkham, who's with the soccer coach and the tennis coach. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, he was big kind of formative role model for me and influence on my my upbringing and during that time were you did you have any inclination of your uh desire to do endurance sport at that time or zero that zero zero i yeah. mean i hated running i yeah. sort of did it as a way to get fit begrudgingly i was heavy set kid um but yeah yeah i mean as i got closer to i was a goalkeeper on the soccer team soccer okay. was kind of a big part of my my deal and um I had a friend who was five years ahead of me, so he had been this kind of, you know, all-state goalkeeper on the soccer team before. He graduated when I was in eighth grade, and then when I was sort of on the soccer team as the the goalkeeper, he was the same thing at University of New Hampshire. Okay. And he would come back, and we'd train together, and and he kind of started lighting a bit of a spark for endurance sports. He sort of, you know— talked me into getting my first mountain bike and took me into the mountains with that and took me into the mountains on some trail runs and we get lost and the days would get long and so that yeah that sort of was when the 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 bug for the mountains started to started to creep in and and started kind of figuring out that you know spending long days in the hills was was something I, i enjoyed doing yeah yeah so how does so right out of high school you're you're going to UPenn? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And in Philadelphia, not where there's a lot of mountains or trails. Yeah, no kidding. So how do you make that transition to and this shows my ignorance to to the rowing world. Yeah. But I assume that's a pretty darn good program uh-huh. that's going up against a lot of other Ivy League schools. Yep. And so <clears throat> to end up on that program, you just walk on. Do you have is there a club team that you start on and then you kind of work your way up? Mm. Is there, what's, yeah. what does that look like? Because suddenly you're, you're going from small town, New Hampshire, where you play in a few different ball sports, you know, you're starting to like get out in the hills a bit. And then suddenly you're on this, I assume high, high achieving sure. 
successful program at a pretty high level. Mm-hmm. So um, a few things there. So in high school, I was just fortunate enough to have, be a part of really good teams. Like we had, you know, we won this. I I can't remember the exact streak, but the, the the soccer team won the state championship ten years in a row, and I was sort of on it for three of those um, years. The tennis team we won a state championship. The basketball team was always far into the finals, and in fact, I I missed a last second shot in the state finals um, one year. Not Still that I not that you. I remember it. <laughs> not that I don't think about it every day in my life. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I had some success. So I had confidence as an athlete, um, yeah. and I, I didn't have a lot of confidence in my body. I was, like I said, I was heavy set. Um, so I had kind of a chip again on my shoulder hmm. about kind of like I was always the fat kid that was able to hang with the the, the, the athletic kids. Yeah. Um, so you know that that was motivating in a way. You mentioned being good at going to school as a business professor. I'd be curious to pull on that thread a little bit sure. more and, you know, going back to in high school, what did that mean being good at going to school and in high school? Those well, years? I mean, I think a lot of what it means is you kind of follow the rules um, or at least you, you uh, understand the incentive structure that's placed in front of you. Like this is the game. <laughs> this is how you play. Here's how you win the game. There you go. That's good. And so, yeah, so I was good at sort of doing that. And then there's also this this sort of, and I say this to students, like, if you're going to break the rules, you got to do it really, really well. Mm. And so I sort of had a sense for knowing when rules were meant to be broken and then how, you know, how, to, how to do that well. Yeah. So I think that, that sort of... That's per- a good skill set. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it, it propelled me as a, as a student to kind of seize opportunity. And, um, you know, I just sort of did a bunch of things like I did sports thing but I also did theater and and just sort of was kind of not didn't feel constrained by clicks which normally dominate a high school experience I sort of was yeah was um a you know a generalist in a way <laughs> that's good uh as a theater lover I have to ask any any roles did are there any yeah, famous roles yeah, you played I guess uh Prince Aeschylus in Romeo and Juliet was kind of the senior play at my high school and that was a good role for me because it's a role that really doesn't have any dialogue. You, know, you just come in and yell a bunch and give a bunch of like big speeches, kind of like politicians. Um, so yeah, that's what that's sort of what I did, and it worked well with with I think it was basketball practice at the time because I didn't have to be at most rehearsals. I just had to come in and nail my lines. Um, so yeah, that was that was one of my one of my roles. That's great. That's great. <laughs> and siblings got a younger brother, Adam. Three and a half years younger than I. Uh, he still lives in New Hampshire, runs a tennis and fitness club in really? our hometown. Yeah. It's where we grew up taking tennis lessons. And, and yeah, it's just sort of neat to see him kind of as a as a pillar of that community. Yeah. So you guys both definitely went down the path of being uh, fit individuals, prioritizing yeah. exercise and activity in your lives. You found it through the mountains. He's mm-hmm. leading that now. Is that something your folks... Um, instilled in you to some degree i mean we were outside a lot we uh yeah my parents love being outside um but we did that mostly on the water sailing and so forth and you know where we lived was sort of at the base of a bunch of mountains so just training for soccer got me into the hills running around it was much more interesting to run on trails and scramble around rocks and stuff like that than it was to pound out miles on the pavement yeah of course um 
University of Pennsylvania. That's right. That yeah. was what was what came up next, eh? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to study business. You know, in high school, you kind of play these roles a little bit. I, I sort of fancied myself as like a bit of an Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties. I don't know if people get that reference. But, you know, my grandfather, who was a big influence in my life, was a successful banker in, um, in New Hampshire. And he, I remember one Thanksgiving dinner, you know, he sort of, and this was before I really even knew what college was. I just remember him turning to my mother and saying, so when, is it, when are we going to have a conversation about paying for Justin's Penn education? I was like, oh, that's interesting, because um, he had gone to Penn. He'd gone to the Wharton School, business school there, and okay. had done the finance thing. And, uh, yeah, he was just a big advocate for me going there. And so I didn't really look many other places. I applied early decision. Um, I wanted to study finance, and that's what I did. Went to went to Wharton and studied finance. And, uh, you know, I say that was my major. Rowing was really my major. Um <laughs> And, you know, that's a bit of a different story. But, yeah, that's how I ended up in, in Philadelphia. Very different than where I grew up. But um, I also sort of thought of, like, if I'm going to college to learn new things, I might as well change everything. Like, why go to college? There's plenty of, like, small town, New Hampshire, New England colleges. But why not get a full educational experience and go to West Philadelphia, like, go deep into the hood? A new angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Mike Morelli, Director of the Entertainment Management Program at the University of Montana. Congratulations, Justin, on one year of a new angle. And we're live with Ainsley and Charlotte. Ainsley, Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. We're glad to be here. For real? Yeah. (laughs) Ainsley, are you happy to be here? Duh. Duh, okay. You have a smile on your face, but listen, people are listening to this. They're not watching it, so they can't see the smile on your face. <laughs> okay, so I asked you guys in here so I could record a little little tidbit for a couple of our episodes, um, and you guys have graciously been quiet, but we had the idea of seeing if we wanted to get you involved at all in our one-year anniversary episode, because you guys have been a big part of this whole story. So you have any questions for your dad? Yes. Oh, what do you got? little uh, stage fright there, Char? Let me ask you a question. How old are you? <laughs> seven. You just turned seven like a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, Ainsley, how old are you? Eight and almost nine. Almost nine. When's your birthday? February 16th. Wow. It's coming up. I have a question. Yeah, what's your question? Um, How did, why did you choose the name to st- to say that? To say what? say a new angle why did i choose the name a new angle yeah what's our name silly head (laughs) angle yeah well that's something people say they say hey you know we're we're looking for a new angle on this or a new angle on that and hey if you want a new angle this you know so it's an expression it means a a new way of thinking or a different way of seeing yeah a different way of seeing things or perspective and so but on this podcast you don't really see things True, we hear things. Good <laughs> point. But yeah, that's kind of what I want to try to do with these conversations is, is learn something new and then ask people different questions that maybe they hadn't been asked before or hadn't thought of things that way before. And so the name uh, works as a pun. Um, I have a question. Yeah, you don't have to say I have a question. You can just jump in with your question. So on a rail, uh, a scale, not a rail. A rail? What's a rail? I don't know, like a... 
don't know. <laughs> okay, so on a scale of 0 to 10, what would you say New Angle is doing good on? <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you say a New Angle is doing? Yeah. Okay, and what does the scale mean? What's 0 and what's 10? 0 means it's about to break down, and 10 <laughs> means... And 10 means it's doing better than it ever could be. Better than it ever could be. That's an interesting concept. And 5 means it's um, on a normal scale. Okay. I'd say we're a 6, maybe a 6.5. I'm really proud of what we've done in the year, uh, but I think we can do a lot better. I think we haven't really even tapped um, what Missoula and Western Montana has in terms of audience growth. So I'd like to really work on that, get this thing out to more people in the coming in the coming year. And, um, you know, I think I'm getting better as an interviewer, but I'm trying to learn and, and be more prepared and be more thoughtful and reactive and inquisitive with my questions. Uh-oh. No, you aren't. Uh-oh. That, that won't help, Ains. Putting your hand on the mic won't help. It's, it's big Gigi. Help. Yeah, okay. It's we're, not. We're getting out of hand. You're going to break the machine. It's so Bluey. Shutting it down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, both the Wharton Business School and the uh, rowing crew team um, at UPenn, I assume, are both very high level, both very challenging, uh, grueling, perhaps, programs. Well, I mean, academically, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a rigorous place. It's, it's kind of cutthroat. You know, there's, there's legends of, like, you're going to the library to check out the textbook and, like, the key piece of paper you you key page you need has been torn out (laughs) right because some other you know because everything's graded on a curve and if somebody tears out the page it prevents other people from being able to study and this was kind of just pre-internet i mean internet sort of came into existence during my years of well came into sort of mass existence during my time as a student but it was a lot of library and, and you know pen and paper and stuff like that so yeah that that kind of cutthroat stuff was was a part of the game um, you know, and speaking of that, like I, I wanted to play soccer in college. Um, I tried out and got cut and then Maggie, um, she, my wife now, she, uh, had rowed in high school, rowed crew in high school. People out here in Montana don't really know what rowing is, but, uh, I don't know, go watch the social network and you can see the Winklevoss brothers <laughs> rowing in that movie. It's very idyllic. <laughs> Um, or read Boys in the Boat. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Cultural reference. Boys in the Boat, yeah. Of course, read that, duh. In fact, my mom has told me, like, hey, I wish that book came out when you were in college because I really would have understood what what the hell you were doing with all mm. your time. Um, yeah, so anyway, you know, I was, I was big into sports. And when I got cut from the soccer team, I sort of was like, felt like I lost my way a little bit. Like this piece of my identity was gone and... Uh, rowing is this interesting sport where you can just kind of start as a novice in college. I mean, certainly the team had like all these recruited athletes, mostly from private boarding schools that are the types of high schools that have rowing. Right. Um, But you can start as a novice. It's one of those sports that it's not very difficult to be adequately good at, very difficult to be great at. Hmm. But uh, you can, if you can pick up the basic movement and, um, and, uh, and work hard, then, you know, you can make the team and and probably have some degree of success. And so that, yeah, Maggie was a rower in high school. She was on the women's team there, and she suggested I try out. And uh, that's either 
she'd either say that's one of the better decisions she's made or maybe the worst. I, I don't know. <laughs> Depends on which day you catch her. Let's talk about Maggie. Yeah, okay. Your wife. Yes. Your partner for how long? When did you uh, in college? Yeah, so we started we we met the first day of college. Didn't start dating until we were seniors. And then um you dated for like four years and got married in 2000. Wow. So we've been married yeah. 18 and a half years and uh, been together for whatever, 22 and a half years at this point. So how did you meet on day one? Yeah, so I, in the freshman dorm, I lived next door to her best friend from childhood. They both chose to go to Penn. And so Kimmy, who introduced us, yeah, she just, Maggie just walked into my dorm the first day of school and introduced herself. And I was like, whoa. That's fortuitous. Yes. It's like, who is this person? Very interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, various fits and starts um, for the best, but, yeah, we didn't end up sort of getting together until we were seniors. Hmm. Yeah. That's great. You know, I, I feel like you have such a such an interesting you, – you've had an interesting journey to make it to the um, University of Montana Business School sure. and to, to Missoula. And I'm, I'm sometimes reminded that you have uh, – just just different chapters of your background. I think it'd be fun to dig into that a little sure. bit. Sure, well, let's do it. Um, you know, one thing that I feel like I honestly do not know a lot about is your profession, one of your prof- professions prior to moving here. Uh, were you a stockbroker? Is uh, that right? Bond trader. Bond, bond trader. Is that yeah. right? Is that the right word? That's right, yeah. And how the heck did you get into that? Well, it's it's not as... Uh, I mean, when you, when, you, when you think about it now, it's sort of like, yeah, how on earth did that guy do that? But at the time, it was a very logical job for me to go into right after college. And at at Wharton and Penn, like all my cohorts, me, most of my teammates on the rowing team and, and colleagues or students, you know, classmates, I guess that's what you call students you're in a classroom with, right? Classmates, that's sure. what we call them? Yeah, yeah. Okay. classmates. Um, yeah, my classmates were all going to Wall Street. Like, that was the thing mm. to do. And I had very I had zero interest in doing that. But I was interested in finance. Um, so, you know, the things at the time were going really well with my girlfriend, um, Maggie. But, yeah, she was moving to San Francisco with some friends. And, and I just, you know, I had a job in Boston with Fleet Bank that later became part of Bank of America. And I thought, well, you know, I can always go back to Boston if San Francisco doesn't work out. But I... You know, this thing with Maggie's going pretty well. So I want to follow her out there, at least go check it out. We went to visit, and at the time, there were these things in newspapers called classified ad- advertisements <laughs> um, that Craigslist sort of single-handedly destroyed. Um, anyway, so there was, a, there was a classified ad, you know, wanted uh, somebody good at math who was interested in trading. Really? That was pretty much the ad. It was like 28 words, and I... So when you moved out there, you didn't have. A I had plan no job. Yet. No, no. I walked away from a job in Boston. I, I had not started yet. I sort of had, had the offer yeah. and walked away. And yeah. You had a you had a a degree from a prestigious business school. Mm-hmm. You were interested in finance. Yeah. You knew numbers. That was it. That's right. Wow. So just um, you know, this job I was fortunate to walk into. Uh, I was hired by a guy who had gone to Penn, who had been on the rowing team. And so, yeah, that, you know, that sort of, it's who you know, really worked in my favor. And I fell in with this neat group of guys. We weren't actually in San Francisco. Uh, We were north of San Francisco in Mill Valley uh, in this little office space trading mortgage-backed securities. And this was at kind of... I've heard of those. Yeah, they they 
you know, about 10 years after I started in that area, they, they were responsible for a large dis- part of the destruction of the world economy. Um, fortunately, I was not, like, directly responsible for that. I, at least I don't think. Glad so, to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was, it was super cool. Um, you know, it was with like-minded folks doing, you know, and, and the cool thing then is right out of college, I had plenty of energy. I'm not old like I am now. And so I get up and get to work at 4.30, and I get out of work at 2.30. It's like you have your whole day ahead of you at that point. And you're up that early to be on the East Coast. Correct. Markets would open on New York hours. So, Yeah, and that was fun. I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it because uh, mostly because of, like, the competition piece of it. Yeah, what's the culture like? Oh, man. I mean, it's it was kind of (laughs) bro-y. Although we had a few women working on the the desk as well, but... um, yeah, I mean, it was, I, I liked it because it was people that had also also had an interest in the domain in finance, but also didn't want to be in, in the big city, didn't want to be in New York, and liked to do stuff out of work, active, actively, you know, in the hills, whatever, riding bikes, running around. So that was fun. Um, you know, and the culture's intense, like we weren't, supposed to leave our desk much during the day because hmm. the markets are moving around and i don't know it was sort of a, a a job that spanned multiple worlds in the sense that there was some of it that was very much like what you see in the movies you know a lot of money fl- you know flashy stuff but also the people i worked with um really kind good people that yeah. i respected and still respect i'm still close with with some of them today and so yeah, I felt like it was it was a neat job, um, but it definitely was not one where I felt like I was um, doing a ton of good hmm. for the world. Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed the competitive aspects of it. I mean, I think you know, having been an athlete my whole life, like trading is definitely something you can win. You can win every day. Yeah, you, you can definitely lose too, and I did plenty of both. Um, but it was fun. I mean, it, 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 and I wasn't, you know, I was working with a bunch of people that had far more experience and probably knowledge in the domain but i was able to execute when the markets were moving and things got nutty so yeah i feel like there's a big gap between going to upenn and showing up in missoula and yeah i think it's worth diving into that a little bit so you you head out to san francisco mm-hmm. with maggie mm-hmm. following her along there you're, you're working for four four years or so um trading bonds What's next? What's next there? Yeah, What's the big, so, so, big next chapter? You know, I mentioned that piece about um, working New York hours. Yeah. Right. So I was getting off work at two thirty, and I really couldn't get this rowing thing out of my blood. And um, early on, I was approached by uh, a rowing team, a high school rowing team in San Francisco, about coaching for them, and um, just jumped right in. It was coaching high school squad right out of college and you know the the four years i was trading i was also coaching and over those four years i just found that the stuff that really fed me was the coaching stuff working with these high school kids and their families and um it was just super special yeah i loved it and tried to become a college coach quit the bond scene and took about a 90 percent pay cut and went back (laughs) to philadelphia we moved we moved from mill valley california to philadelphia um, 
which I don't think is a move that many people have yeah. made. Yeah, that's not the classic move. It's not the classic yeah. move. And uh, yeah, was an assistant coach back uh, working under my the, you know, Stan Bergman, who was the coach of my high school or coach of the college team. And uh, spent a couple of years there trying to break it in, break into a full-time job. Wasn't able to get one at Penn, but I was able to get one at Yale University in New Haven. And so spent a year there coaching their freshman team. And there was a lot of that, that, that job or those jobs that I loved. I loved being back on the river. I loved working in the sport that had meant so much to me and had done so much for me. But um, I, I didn't, at that level, I didn't really like how much it was about recruiting. I didn't like all the compliance stuff. I didn't, I didn't like living in New Haven. Yeah. And I also, the lifestyle was, was really challenging. Um, days were super long. Days never really ended. And it was hard on a, on a young marriage at that time. Maggie was in graduate school up in Boston, so we were living apart. And it's just the things weren't adding up. And we weren't cr- really sure what wasn't working. We couldn't put our fingers on it, but we knew we had to change. And we went out to Seattle on a, on a vacation to visit Maggie's family. And, you know, I think... It was a week vacation, and about Wednesday of that week, we both kind of looked at each other and said, you know what, we don't want to go back. Okay, special announcement. Coming up on March 8th is the 30th annual John Raffato Business Startup Challenge. This competition, hosted by the Blackstone Launchpad and the College of Business at the University of Montana, will feature 12 elite student teams pitching new and exciting business ideas to a panel of 50 hand-picked judges in a crowd made up of over 300 business professionals and Montana community members. Teams compete for up to $50,000 in awards while having the opportunity to network with venture capitalists, early-stage investors, investment bankers, economic developers, corporate executives, and successful entrepreneurs. Come be inspired by the new generation of Montana entrepreneurs. Tickets are $15 and available online through the John Raffato Business Startup Challenge website. We'll post a link to that website in the show notes. Check out this event. It's my favorite of the year. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Willie, Director of Marketing and Communications at the University of Montana College of Business. Hey, Justin, happy one-year anniversary of a New Angle podcast. Thanks for all your work. I'm here today with Maggie Angle. Maggie, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. You are the last and best family member to make an appearance on the podcast, something um, that you've reminded me that I failed to do over this year. So welcome, and it's good to have you. Thank you. But actually, you're, you're hosting this shindig, so let it rip. What do you got? So I think that no interview with you is truly complete without brief mention, at least, of your athletic accomplishments and pursuits since college. So by the numbers, can you run me through... How many Ironman triathlons have you completed? How many 100-mile trail races have you completed? And what is the longest race that you've ever done? Gosh, well, um, I've done six Ironman triathlons uh, at Lake, Lake Placid Ironman, Coeur d'Alene, and, uh, and Kona. And um, I've done, I think, I've completed 12 or 13 100-mile races uh, the longest race I've done, I guess, technically is an Ironman distance triathlon because it's 140 miles, 140.6 miles in total. Uh, the, the longest running race um, 
I've done is the Plain 100 in Washington State, which is 109 miles. They bill it as 100, but those extra miles, those extra nine, it doesn't sound like much when you read the race description, but it stings a little bit when you're at mile 100. Um, and then I guess the longest single push I've done is the John Muir Trail in, in California. I didn't quite get uh, the last bit of it in. Uh, ran out of time, but it's a 226-mile trail. Yeah. What has been the hardest thing that you've attempted athletically? Oh, man. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I think it's been, um, you know, the Western States 100 that I did in, actually, scratch that. Western States in 2006 was really hard. It was my first time at Western. It's a big race. Um, And it was 117 degrees, just epic, epic heat. And and I really struggled with that, you know, all sort of time and place goals went out the window. But I'm proud that I made it to the finish line. Um, Hardest race I ever did, however, was the um, Ghosts of Yellowstone 100 uh, three, four years ago over in the Tobacco Root Mountains here in Montana. Um, You know, it was was a rugged course, burly terrain, but the weather just kind of went sideways on us. And uh, you had to go up and over this big mountain pass. And uh, over the night, um, and I, I got to experience this on the early part of the night, but over that night, it snowed like nine inches and it was one of those types of like 35 degrees and wet snow or rain, you know, perfect hypothermia weather. And it, it quickly moved from a race to a, just a matter of survival. So I don't want to over-dramatize it, but yeah, I was, it was pretty close to being on the edge of despair. (laughs) And what has been your favorite race or athletic pursuit that you've done as an adult oh gosh i mean it's so timely uh at various times different things are are my favorite like i love the chucking up 50k it's put on by a dear friend uh who lives in bellingham washington christy christy uh, Christy mail and um yeah so that's been a a long time favorite just because of the community there out here you know the rut mountain runs i've actually never run the race but i I love the people that produce the race and uh, the spirit and the community that that comes with that um but right now, I mean, my attention and, and imagination are being captivated by backcountry skiing. I just love exploring the mountains and, and doing it in a different medium and trying to move as quickly and as, as efficiently in the hills. But um, it's kind of nice to do it with uh, trying, to, trying to work on a new skill set. And what is the next race you're signed up for? I'm signed up for the Grand Traverse, which is a 40-mile ski mountaineering race from Crested Butte to Aspen. That's at the end of March. And uh, yeah, it'll be my first schema race. I mean, it's kind of a, a popular thing, growing popular thing here in this community and beyond. Uh, the races typically are shorter, a couple hours. I'm not so interested in, in that type of racing. Um, but the long race sounds appealing, and, and a good friend, John Fiore, friend of the pod, um, uh, somehow talked me into doing it with him. Great. Yeah. Well, that's all I've got. That's all you got. Set the record straight. Um, okay, Maggie. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Hi, this is Aspen Runkel, social media whiz and grad student at the College of Business. You're listening to A New Angle. And I think I just said to her, like, well, we don't have to. And <laughs> she sort of said, really? I said, yeah, I mean, whatever. Like, stay with your parents and find jobs here. And so we did. Wow. We just kind of abruptly left and you know, walked away big. and... 
Um, it was abrupt. It was probably silly, but at the time I was what twenty. I don't know. Twenty six, seven, something right. like that. Like I was sort of foolish enough, confident enough that I could find a job, but foolish enough that I was sort of willing to take a leap like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I moved to Seattle, and that's where I started kind of getting into the running scene. I worked for Seattle Running Company just to kind of pick up some 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 work. As I uh, in this time, I had applied to the MBA program at the University of Washington, um, just thinking I could restart my you know, I knew business, so I could yep. re, you know get back in the game there and yeah. figure it out. And um, about midway through my my master's program, MBA program at Washington, uh, started kind of looking at the professors there and thinking, those jobs look pretty good. Yeah. I want one of those. And so uh, that led So that to, might have been when the seed was planted for you to maybe end up in a position like you are in now. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. That's kind of when it happened. I was like, I want to be a, I want to be a professor. That looks like a good job. I, you know, it kind of threads the needle between the stuff that attracted me to finance and that world and, and the stuff that I enjoyed about coaching, uh, being on campus, being around kids, uh, kids, I mean, being around students and being around people that are trying to make investments in themselves and make themselves better on a variety of dimensions. That was really, um, really exciting for me. And so, you know, at the time these ideas were coming together, I met, uh, the fellow that ended up being my dissertation advisor, Mark forehand, um, I took his class on consumer psychology and it just was like, wow, this stuff is really, really cool and interesting and just rolled into the PhD program. I mostly studied social psych. I hung out in a psych lab at the University of Washington and that led to this job. I mean, this really, these academic jobs are kind of a crapshoot. Like you don't get a lot of control over where you end up. It's kind of like, you know, for any of you listeners that have had friends that come out of medical school and kind of go through that match system. The academic job market is similar, and I was just really fortunate that I didn't really know much about Missoula at all. I mean, I knew you lived here. That was about <laughs> it. I think I'd driven through here once before, and um, but no, we came out for the interview, and it was awesome. I was like, this place is great. Yeah. And uh, still feel that way. Yeah, so partly by luck and partly by just uh, being in the right place at the right time, I guess. So 2012. Yes. Missoula's on your radar. You come check out the University of Montana. You check out Missoula. Yeah. You get on some of the trails. Yeah. You find a home. You get a job. And you're here. What's it like to be a professor at the business school? Gosh, well, I mean, this is a great job in a great town. It, it's. I, I just continue to think, like, geez, Louise, I've cracked the code. Uh, you know, I got a job where I get to get to teach young people who are trying to improve their lives, like try to help them on their path to, to making a better life for themselves. I mean, what a, what a great thing, what a great thing to be a part of. And then, you know, I get to research stuff. I want to stuff I find interesting. So that's, that's really cool. I feel like I I sort of write the script anew every day and, uh, I got great colleagues here. You know, that was one thing that was very clear to me, uh, on the job market when I came to visit, like it was a long interview process and you could tell immediately like these people that I eventually became become my colleagues and friends like you could tell these people really cared for one another and that if I was going to come here I should expect that this family would be a big part of my social scene here and and that's the way it's played out and I, I wouldn't change it it's it's been great and great people to work with 
And we're set in this beautiful place. I mean, right up against the mountain, three-minute jog from the office to the trailhead, <laughs> uh, or one of several trailheads. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a great place to work, great place to raise a family. And I am just, I remind myself, like, anytime I have a rough day at the office or at home, just got to remind myself, like, you live in the best place in the world, and, like, you got a great job. And, yeah, it's, it's, don't feel bad for yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to uh, tug on a little bit your your research, but yeah. before that, I'd be curious to know how big is the school here, the business school? Yeah, the business school. I mean, I think we're like fifteen hundred students, yep. give or take. Yeah, about. I mean, it depends if you count graduate students and whatever. But that's right. yeah, that's kind of the number where we've been rolling at for a bit a little bit and you're teaching a variety of classes correct yeah i kind of teach all over the map i got an interesting portfolio i mean my primary course is principles of marketing although that's going to be changing um which principles of marketing is our introductory marketing course all majors have to take it all business majors and then i teach uh a course a graduate course on branding and a graduate course on public speaking and i also teach a graduate course on public opinion polling it's a collaboration with Sarah Rinfrey, who you know, yep. uh, who's a professor of, of public administration. So the two of us collaborate on that. She's then, been on the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. And actually, Sarah's mom is a friend of the pod. So call out to Sarah's mom. I don't know Sarah's mom, but I've just heard that she's a listener. So here you go. Sarah's, <laughs> Hi, Sarah's mom. mom. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so in the next fall, I'm going to be rolling into a class called Introduction to Business. So I'm going to be teaching all freshmen, mostly freshmen, some sophomores. Yep. But yeah, it's like an introductory class that covers all the bases of business. So that'll be, you know, sort of a fresh start and a new thing to teach. And yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. That's great. And, you know, my understanding is you get to really put that curriculum together and share that information in any way you Yeah, really I mean, enjoy. that's one of the... the sacred pieces of teaching is you, you get a lot of control over what you do in your own class. I mean, yeah. there is some vetting of the learning objectives in, in any given class, but how you achieve those learning objectives is totally up to you. And then a course like Intro to Business is, is interesting too, because it, it needs to be representative of uh, a lot of different disciplines within the College of Business. So um, that's a great opportunity to collaborate with colleagues and to just sort of um, entertain a, a discussion with the faculty here about what needs to be in this class, you know, how, how, how much different things are emphasized, what sort of experiences should we create. So I sort of feel like I've been charged with a pretty significant responsibility to, to take on that course and, and, and try to do it well. That's exciting yeah. and also challenging. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be pretty much my summer will be dedicated to figuring out how best to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that, uh, you know, through uh, previous conversations, you and I have spoken about various tools you've used uh, in your classrooms, and yeah. one of them being podcasts. Correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So how have you used podcasts in your classrooms? Well, I've just assigned them. You yeah. know, I listen to a bunch of pods and and. You know, oftentimes I'll listen to one and think, wow, that was really cool. And like, well, let's try assigning that in class. And it's not that difficult. Like instead of putting a PDF on your website, you just put a URL to a, a podcast. And, you know, it turned out that uh, students tended to listen to podcasts much more than read stuff, <laughs> which, you know, at first I found uh, I sort of felt a little bit uh, ambivalent about that. But then I realized, well, 
that's kind of the way I've been doing things recently yeah. myself. I'm reading less and listening more. So why not do the thing that uh, meets the students where they're at? And uh, yeah, started assigning them. And then as I was doing that, I just sort of got enthusiastic about this notion of could we create a podcast for the class and yeah. started doing that. And that sort of grew into, you know, what we have here a, a year into it. I mean, that's that's what we're trying to celebrate with this discussion is that we've been doing this podcast every week for a year and it's it's been awesome. Uh, so in a year, do you know how many guests you've had? Yeah. So, well, geez, I mean. This one-year anniversary episode will be our 54th episode. Wow. Um, some of those episodes have had multiple guests. So it's hard to know, like, how many total guests we've had. If I had to guess, I'd say, like, 65 yeah. people. But I haven't, I haven't run that analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, I mean, kind of cool to look back on it and say, wow, you know, we did, we did this all in a year. Like, in some ways, the year has flown by. But in other ways, it's like, wow. You know, there was a lot that we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah as a longtime listener, yeah, I've really enjoyed the variety of guests that you've had on, and folks that I definitely did not know prior to hearing their story on the sure. podcast. To famous authors such as Cheryl Strayed mm -hmm. or famous musicians like uh, John Wicks or Jeff Ament, and it's been it's been a really uh, really neat mix for you. What's that? What are some of the I don't know, common threads or themes you've uh, pulled out of all these discussions. I mean, you said you're 60, 65 guests in. Yeah. Um, yeah, what are some of the commonalities? I mean, we went into it with this notion of interrogating the concepts of creativity and hustle. You know, I walked in, I was fortunate to sort of land a good job here and quickly realized that not many people in this community have that uh, advantage that there's a lot of people that are creating opportunities for themselves in really creative ways and that that is super interesting to me i mean i look at your life like you've put together this portfolio of professional athlete but also event producer and a couple other streams of revenue that allow you to you know, live in Missoula, live in Missoula, <laughs> like where you want to live, but also put together a life that is such that you're, you're playing the long game and doing the things you need to be doing as a responsible adult, at least mostly. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just fascinated by that, whether it's starting a tech firm here or, you know, building an ice cream business like Charlie Beaton or being a musician and figuring out a way like John Wicks to, to, you know, he's got a band where they kind of do most of their work down in LA and he's able to live here Right. And it's just kind of fascinating to, to kind of to talk to all these people about how they conceptualize opportunity and then how they go and execute on that opportunity. And I think there's some really special stuff happening here. So that's been it. Can, it was the initial uh, sort of point of inquiry for the show, and it continues to be a big theme of what we're doing. Yeah, that's great. How do you feel like the podcast has evolved in this last year? I mean, in some ways, uh I'm hugely just blown away by, well, one, I'm blown away by just, it's been super fun to do. And, and, and it, it's a real joy when somebody who's listened says, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard you doing this, and I really enjoyed your conversation with such and so. Or, you know, you get a random email from somebody, and like, wow, I didn't even know that person was listening. So the fact that a person listens and that there's actually more than just one person listening, um, it's just really kind of, 
yeah, heartwarming in a way. Uh, at the same time, like I do in year two, I want to grow the audience. I think that yeah. uh, there's there's much more uh, people, you know, many more people we can reach with a message here, and so we got to be thinking about one. You know, how do we reach those people? But two, how do we create content that's compelling for that audience? So I'll be really dedicating uh, year two to kind of just professionalizing what we do um, and trying to do it better. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, yeah, I guess you kind of answered it. You know, my, my follow-up question was just going to be where you, where you see it going, and it seems like you know, continuing to make it more professional, get great guests on, grow the audience. It's simple. Yeah, you know, and we gotta we gotta be thoughtful about this. I mean, there's a couple things. Like, I get guest suggestions, and I feel like I'm in a I feel like I need to be in a hurry to get that particular guest on. And then I have to remind myself, hey, we're in the let, like I'd like to be playing a long game here and have this be a multi year thing. And so, you know, there's no shortage of cool people doing awesome things talk to but how we kind of curate that i need to be thoughtful of i mean we've had an interesting mix of prominent people that i find interesting in the community right and then we've had prominent people kind of rolling through town right like a larry summers like a maureen dowd like a cheryl Strait, and i think we'll continue to have those sorts of people because this is a university and, and i want this to be an important voice for what's happening on campus but we need to tell the stories about what's happening in our community. This yeah. community is changing. You know, it's growing. And you know, there's important issues to, to investigate there. So continue to hearing from you know, policymakers or entrepreneurs or activists or artists or whoever is representative of, of different forces in the community. I think we need to stay in touch with that as well. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I need, yeah, I mean, so that's something that, that – uh, you know, I've really got no training on as far as like a journalistic approach. I mean, and hopefully in this in year two, we'll kind of bring on a, a producer of some sort that can help me kind of put together a long range plan for here are the sorts of guests you should be having and in this order. And here's how you prepare. And and here's the questions you need to be asking. I mean, all that is is where I get excited about the opportunity to improve what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had conversations with many of your students about the podcast? Yeah. I'd be curious to know what kind of feedback you're getting in your classrooms. Um, you know, it's sometimes I'm surprised that students are listening. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and it's funny, like, my wife or other people that I know on campus will, uh, you know, Maggie works on campus, and, you know, she'll hear about somebody listening to it. And I, it's just always sort of like, wow, I didn't really know that anybody's out there listening. So, um, I mean, I, I hear often that the episodes are too long, but as many times as I hear that, I hear that they're too short. So that tells me that we've kind of landed on a, a length of time that maybe works. Yeah. Um, and other things, I mean, this is where you got to be careful. Like some people want more musicians. Some people want more entrepreneurs. Some people want, you know, um, more politicians. And all of those forces, you know, that's our job to kind of, put together a portfolio of guests that that the community will find interesting and meaningful and i don't know the exact formula um i don't think there is one. there's a podcast from vox media called i think you're interesting which <laughs> you know that's kind of the title i maybe should have 
had for this show before um, before they launched their show, and I couldn't steal it any longer. I like that. But that's kind of my approach to the work, like interesting people. Like, yeah. Let's have conversations with interesting people. And then I look at it as my job, like I got to make the case through the conversation or through how I set it up to the audience that, hey, this is somebody that you should be listening to, that you can learn from. Yeah. That's great. Justin, I really appreciate I want to be respectful of your time. (laughs) I uh, really appreciate you coming on the pod today. And uh, to all the listeners out there and and to you, I know I'm very excited to see what's uh, coming down the road with a new angle. That's right. Year two. Here we come. Year two. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, this is Max Gibson, College of Business student and podcast intern extraordinaire. We hope you enjoyed our one-year anniversary episode. All of us here at A New Angle are excited about the great things we're cooking up for year two. Coming up next week is what Justin calls an experiment in conversation. He chats with data scientist and marketing professor John Chandler, as well as A New Angle's official philosopher, Professor Christopher Preston. The three of them wrestle with the ethics of advertising and persuasion in the era of big data. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And remember that A New Angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. By now, you all know that they're big and they pretty much sell everything electrical you would ever need. But what you might not know is that they hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about job opportunities at CED, visit cedcareers.com. It's a great website name. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Comzar, Elizabeth Willey, executive producer, Stefan Borsum. Producer, Aidan Morton, and interns, Aspen Runkle, Max Gibson, and Ellie Hanasek. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Before we go, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot. See you next time. Check it out. New theme music. John Wicks and Jeff Amet, two friends of the podcast, recently teamed up to record Comeback Player of the Year. It's a tribute to their dear friend, Dow Lucerel, who passed away suddenly this summer. Dow was the owner of Uptown Espresso in Seattle, a favorite of mine during my days in that great city. And he also spent time here as a student at the University of Montana. John and Jeff were generous enough to share their music with a new angle, and we are deeply honored and grateful. We hope you enjoy it.